You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. I just want to start off with some moments of gratitude because there's so much for us to be grateful for. Amen? And so, one, um, because of God's, just God's grace and mercy, I just want to just um, thank my parents and my sister who's here today. For those of you who don't know, um, I've been on a crazy journey, and it's a part of Virginia City, actually. It's part of our story. You know, it starts with even my story and a hope and a dream that I've had for the last decade. And in 2012, um, I suffered a really terrible accident, and it left me debilitated from the neck down. Um, it left me um, debilitated from the neck down, and um, so it's been a crazy journey. I moved to Oregon in 2014 to be in a medical facility to continue to work on those things, and um, man, by God's grace, I've been recovering slowly, and my parents gave up so much. Um, my sister became caretakers, and I'm just thankful to God um, for you guys um, sticking by my side through those times, and I also just want to take a moment to um, to thank my children, Aiden and Aubrey, um, who have sacrificed so much time um, of their dad um, for, for the church, for, for just, man, for God's glory. And so, Daddy loves you, and I want to take a moment to do that right now. And I don't want you guys to be lost in the shuffle um, of this thing called ministry, right? So that's my first, one of my first priorities. And then, of course, my lovely wife, Jillian, who's sitting in the front. Um, babe, you've been such a rock and such a um, blessing to my life and whether it's me laying on my back and not being able to clothe myself or feed myself or to this moment um, none of it's possible without you and so um, man I love you and I'm so thankful and then of course um, there's two people who aren't here today but we couldn't start we couldn't start this journey without me mentioning them too. There's such an integral part of what's allowed Redemption City Church to be possible. And that's one of them, some of you guys know him, his name is Ezekiel Ostrowski, and he was, uh, or you guys know him as Zeke, and he was a part of that dreaming process where we were just um, praying and, and asking the Lord what he might do out here through Hillsboro and Beaverton. And um, another one is Alfred, who's been a mentor. Guys, he's somebody you probably won't see for a long time, but he's in the background. Um, he serves on the board of directors for Grace International, where I've been licensed as a pastor for the past 12 years. And so he served as a, as a wise guide, as a wise counsel for me and now for Jack. And so we're thankful for these people. And it's important right now that we thank God for all these people. And then finally, last but not least, is the Davis family, Vanessa and Jack. Um, Jack, um, for you as a fellow elder of this church, as a pastor, brother, I'm so thankful for you. This Redemption City Church cannot happen without you and your lovely wife. And so can we just give it, just clap it up for all that God is doing? It's awesome. It's amazing. So we have, that's right. You know, and I want to address a couple of things, you know. This is like a new family starting, right? I was just talking to the Connect team before we started. You know, when, when a husband and wife, you get married, man, there's a lot of kinks. You're working things out. This is our first service. And so um, we're going to go a little bit longer today because we're getting to know each other. You know, when you start, you're dating and it's like, man, those date nights are really, really, really long. It's because you're trying to lean in. You're trying to get to know each other. So let's just do a couple of things. Let's, let's do some of the formalities. Hey, if you are under the age of 13, raise your hand. I just want to acknowledge you, right? Can we clap it up for everybody under 13? <laughs> wow, I am, so, hey, 
I am, why don't you guys stand up? If you're under 13, stand up for a second because we love you at Redemption City Church. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so awesome. So par- parents of, uh, of children, thank you so much for not waiting until we have the children's ministry started before you came. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and so I'm so thankful you're here. It's going to be a little bit loud. We're going to hear the kids. Kids are good. God, Jesus loves the kids. And so um, if you are under 13, I want you to listen to Pastor Brandon right now. Okay, listen. God has a word for you. And some of the words are going to be a little bit big, and you may not understand them. But if you work really hard, I believe you're going to learn something today. And so I want, you to le- I want you to listen with your best ability. I also want to encourage parents that we have a plan for children's ministry. <laughs> and so that's, that will be starting in the next two or three weeks. Okay? So that's really exciting. So, okay. With all that being said, officially, because of God's goodness, we are one. We're getting ready to clap again because this is, hey, guys, this is the first service of a church. This is a party. This is a festive thing. I need you to work with me today, okay? So we are now officially one of approximately 350,000 churches in America. So let's clap it up for that. That's good. That's great. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean for us to be one of about 350,000 churches? You know, each church has its own sets of values and characteristics. And throughout this series, if you saw it on there, we're going to be referring to those values and characteristics as our church DNA. All right. And so what's going to separate Redemption City Church from any other church or what makes our DNA? So we're going to look at a biological definition of DNA. All right. And now I'm definitely not a chemist or anything. We do have some around, so I'm going to give it my best go. All right. So here's a definition, a general definition of DNA. DNA is the material which is present in nearly all living organisms as the main component of chromosomes. It is the carrier of genetic information it is the distinctive character, characteristics or qualities of someone or something, especially when regarded as unchangeable. So I want to, to look at three parts of this right now. The first one is that it's a carrier of genetic information. I want you to help me out. So say carrier, carrier. of genetic information. Of genetic information. All right. A second thing is it's distinctive characteristics or qualities. All right. So DNA can have distinctive characteristics or qualities. Say distinctive. Characteristics or qualities. You guys are doing great. And then finally, it's unchangeable. Everybody say unchangeable. Unchangeable. So just like DNA biologically, for us as a church, we want to have those three components here established at Redemption City Church. We want to be carriers of spiritual information that we find in in this book we call the Bible. This is the inspired word of God. We want our church to be founded on distinct characteristics and values, okay? And more importantly, we want to live our lives in a way that's unchangeable. And the only thing that we can trust that is unchangeable is the word of God. Now, um, that comes down to having a clear vision. And so most churches, okay, are working hard, pastoral staffs working hard to create a clear vision and mission for their church. And we're going to turn to Proverbs 29. You don't have to open your Bibles for this one. It's going to be on the screen. In Proverbs 29, verse 18, we're going to be using ESV here. Okay, this is what the word of the Lord says. It says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraints. But blessed is he who keeps the law. 
You see, what this, what this text is saying is that when God's word is unavailable or it's rejected, the people cast off restraints. They no longer have a standard that's greater than themselves. So this has happened all throughout history, human history. I mean, just consider the exodus of Egypt, right? Um, so this is when the Israelites were being freed out of Egypt um, from Pharaoh. And God was blessing them. He had kept his promise to them. But over time, the Israelites forgot the vision of the Lord. And we know how that story ended. Some of our children, you guys know the story with Moses, and he comes out of Egypt. And what happens? They get lost. They forget the vision of the Lord, and then they perish. In the King James Version, actually, um, the way that verse ends is it says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people perish. And so here's some, here's some unfortunate news. Over the last seven years, over 65,000 churches closed in America. And there's a million reasons why that happens, but one of the biggest reasons is they forgot the prophetic vision that they probably started with. And this is such an important time for us as a, as a small church family here at the Arbory to know what our vision is. So there's these things called the aesthetics of church, right? Things like um, worship style, contemporary, traditional, liturgical um, ways of c conducting church. Um, there's the lighting. There's the type of communicator that's up here. There's so many things that make up a church. Those things are important and they have their place. But what's unchangeable and what we want to be distinctively known by is being a church, a group, a community that lifts up the word of God above all things. So our worship style is going to grow and mature as we continue to grow as a family. Um, how we conduct service, what we can offer our children um, in children's ministry, the events we do, all these things, like any healthy family, like any healthy marriage, is going to grow and transform and mature over time. But we want the main thing to stay the main thing. Amen? And so, um, how do you know what a church's DNA is? Amen. That's right. I, I, lo I love the children. So, um, so how, how can we know what our DNA is or any church? Well, you're going to find it in these areas throughout, um, you know, throughout your time here. It's going to be in your, in your um, Redemption City roadmaps, and it's going to be on the website. So it's going to be th through things like our mission. It's going to be through things like our vision statement. And it's going to be through things like, um, the man, the Bible, the gospel. And that's what we're going to be looking at. Um, so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I do want you to open them to Romans chapter 5. That's where we're going to be at in just a little bit today. But if you're unfamiliar with the Bible or, or, or you're just starting, it's going to be towards the end of the book. Uh, so it's going to be towards the end. <coughs> and you can use the table of contents to get there. I'm going to open up in prayer. So if you guys can bow your heads, let's pray with me. God of truth and Mm, love and abounding grace. It's because of Jesus the Christ that we are all gathered here today, and we're doing that by faith, God. Lord, some people are here because they are simply being polite to an invitation that was given to them by a family member or a friend or a pastor. And Lord, some of us are truly here because we're here to investigate the authenticity of our claims as a church that you, Jesus, are indeed the creator of all things. And you are our personal Lord and Savior of our lives. Lord, yet others are here because they are desperately in search for an answer to their pain. 
or they're looking for community, God. And this is their last stop. And yet others of us are here because we have made a decision to commit um, this season of our lives to Redemption City Church to grow closer to you. But what's true above all else, Lord, is that we acknowledge that you don't need our efforts at all. Lord, you are not served by human hands as, or our opinions or our approval as though you needed anything from us, Jesus. Lord, it's us that are in desperate need of you. You are the fountain of our lives. And we're acknowledging humbly that we're thirsty. You are the food that sustains our daily lives. And we're acknowledging that we're hungry. Therefore, help us to not be sermon evaluators or worship evaluators or, or, or service evaluators, Lord, but help us to be humble servants of you, willing to see what you have for us this morning in your word. It's because of your beautiful name we pray. Amen. You know, there's going to be, we're going to be looking through our church DNA over nine weeks, okay? So today we're starting off kind of from a 30,000-foot perspective. We're going to be working through. So today we're going to be focusing on, and we're going to see in a minute, the gospel. We're going to work with these things called the five Gs, okay? And so we actually, we're going to put those up now. And so these are, these are those five Gs. One is the gospel. Say the gospel. Another is grace. Say grace. Generosity. Gathering and going. These are the five G's that we want our church to be focused on, to be known for. Okay? And so the gospel, what does that mean? What does it really mean? What does the gospel mean? When we're talking about the gospel, basically what we mean is when we embody the gospel, we move from death to new life with a different set of desires and priorities and affections in alignment with the creator of the universe. Right? And that's what it means when the gospel has impacted you. When you know and you believe by faith that Jesus can offer you new life, it does something to you. We're going to be focusing throughout the series on grace. When we embody grace, we move from a life of performing to abiding. It's out of our joy then that we are compelled to demonstrate this grace to others around us. That's what grace means. We want to be a church known for grace. Generosity. When we embody generosity, we move from consuming, right? Being consumers to being people that contribute in sacrificing and dying to ourself. And out of our joy, our generosity then is, expands to other people in our community. We want to be known for people that, are, um, that lift up gathering. See, when we, when we embody a culture of gathering, we move from isolation intimate, into intimate life-on-life -life relationships. We weren't created to be alone. And finally, when we um, embody the going posture, we move from just hearing and being tickled with our ears and being idle with our lives to leaning in and doing something with the Word of God. When the Word of God hits you, it should have a response that starts inside and leads to an action outside of you. Now, Paul, he has a lot to say about the Gospels in, the, in 1 Corinthians, about it being of first importance. And so today, all we're going to be talking about is the gospel. Next week, we're going to be looking at both grace and generosity. The following week, we're going to look at gathering and going. And then from there, we're going to be looking at the vision of family. And what is God's vision for family? How do we, some, there's people in here that I see, we have married couples, we have people on their way to being married. I see families with children. What's God's vision for that? 
What's God's vision for us as a church to raise up healthy families? Or what does it mean for us to be a healthy, um, a healthy church community for, with healthy, strong, godly men? Men, God has called us to, do, to lead our homes as priests of our homes. And if you're not married yet, um, I believe God's calling you to that one day. And what does that look like? And for uh, the women in here, to be women of God, what is God's call on your life? Not just as a wife, but as a daughter of Christ, right? A daughter of the Lord. And then our children. Our children are so important. You know, one of, the, one of my greatest joys of planting this church alongside Jack was the fact that he has a background in children's ministry. And I've spent over a decade as a youth pastor. And so between the both of us, children are so important. What is God's vision for the children? We want to talk about that. We want to lean into that. Or if you're single, is it all, about, is it all just about fasting and praying and waiting for God to send you a husband or a wife? Or, do, or has God called you to do things right here, right now with your life? I believe he has. And what about leadership? Perhaps God's call, calling you to serve or to lead in some capacity. What does that look like? And then finally, stewardship. How do you steward all that God is giving you? Your time, your resources, your family, your life. But today I want to focus on the gospel. And so if you um, have your, your Bibles open, because I don't, <laughs> we're going to be turning to the book of Romans chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 11. Um, the book of Romans tells us about God, okay? And so that's what the book of Romans tells us. It's about who, who God is and what he says and basically what he's done. It tells us about Jesus and um, what his death ultimately accomplished. And it tells us about ourselves and what we are like without Christ and then who we get to be after we know Christ. Amen? And so I want you guys to stand with me. Again, today we're just learning how to be a family together. So it's a lot of learning today. So we're going to stand together. Why are we standing? Because I, I, I won't always explain all these things, but we're standing together for, uh, for a lot of reasons. You know, you know um, back in the synagogue during the Bible times, they would stand during the times when the scripture was being read and they would sit for the preaching. Even our Lord and Savior Jesus did that. And so it's, it's a way that we honor. Notice that on a wedding day, right, everybody stands to attention, right, when the beautiful bride walks in or, or, or we stand and we pledge allegiance. And so it's a sign of honor. Well, the word of God is the highest authority of our lives. And so we're going to stand together when we read the word of God to signify how important and glorious it is. So read with me loud and loudly, starting from verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time... Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person. One would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we are now justified by his blood, much more shall we be. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's have a seat. So I want, we're going to read, again, a lot, a lot of reading today. We're going to read um, 
this passage up here um, about the gospel. It's from a blog um, that I wrote, and you can get this on the website. And I just really want to make sure we have an understanding of the gospel. And so here's what the gospel is essentially. The gospel states that deep down inside, okay, I want you to lean in and listen to me. Deep down inside, each and every one of us know that something has gone terribly wrong. Something has gone terribly wrong in the world. But not only in the world, but within ourselves. There's these ingrained parts of us that have gone horribly wrong, and we know it. We all know it on some level. What we feel within ourselves and what we see when we look out to the world is called sin. Sin is an affront to God. And God has declared that the wages of sin is death. God is perfect and blameless and loving and just. Therefore, he must rightly deal with our sins. But in God's abounding love for you and I, he sent his sinless son, Jesus, to pay our debt, our penalty. He died on the cross, taking the punishment we all deserve. He rose from the dead, conquering death and sin for us so that we might both be raised to a new life, reconciled to God, and eternally dwell with him forever. The gospel declares that we wholeheartedly accept that we have sinned against the holy and only God. If we acknowledge that we have done these things externally and internally that are displeasing to God, if by faith we cast our hope upon Christ for who He is and what He did and why He did it, then we are saved. This is God's story. Our story alone ends in death and chaos and pain and suffering and brokenness and isolation and ultimately death. But God's story, when we get in on His story, when we jump into the redemptive story of God, it ends in reconciliation, redemption, wholeness, community, and eternal life. Now here's why the gospel is so important, and here's why it's the start of the vision, the very core, the very DNA of Redemption City Church. It's why we're here. We're here, some of us are here because of what the gospel has done for us, what Jesus has done for us. Without, without Jesus, I wouldn't be here before you. You know, the things that I've been through in my life um, tore me apart, but it was because of God. He's the only one that sustained me. When all the neurosurgeons and orthopedic surgeons, everybody basically said that, you know, it's just pretty much a wrap for me, it was my faith in the Lord that sustained. It was God who got me through those times. You know, there's about four lies that I see most, that I see people struggle with, um, churches struggle with, that keeps um, churches from growing vibrantly. And that's why we want to start with that today. I, these four lies are permeating um, Christianity today in America. And I, and I think we all can find ourselves in these four lies that's in some way. And I want to talk about those, and then I want to shed gospel truth on them. I want you to see where you, where you are in this story. Lie number one. I call it the, um, the rationality lie. And it says, I am a good person. All right? So this is one of the main things that keeps us from growing with Jesus and keeps people from accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They already believe they're a good person. I'm a good person. I don't need the church. I don't need God. I don't need all that Bible stuff. I'm a good person. But notice what no one is saying. No one's saying they haven't made mistakes. You won't find a person that will tell you that. You won't find someone that won't say that they have sinned. 
although they may not use the word sin. They'll, they'll say, I make mistakes, I'm progressing, I'm evolving. Synonymous for, I know there's something not done in me, there's something not right in me, and I'm working on it. See, when someone says they're a good person, that's usually based on a set of standards, usually projected on someone else. In other words, I'm a good person because I'm not like Johnny Smith over there. I must be a good person because I'm not the one doing drugs. I'm a good person in light of that person that's in prison. So see, the problem with calling ourselves a good person in and of ourselves is that we have a low standard that we're setting it against. But here's the gospel truth. Outside of Jesus, I'm an absolute disaster. I want you to say that with me. Outside of Jesus, in verse 6 it says, For while we were still weak, the key word is weak, while we were still weak. You know, the Greek word for weak means lacking moral capacity. Okay, so I used to be an athlete. I played college basketball. I really did. It's a true story. Until I had my injury, right? My brainstem got compressed, and now I cannot even tie my shoes. I have all these beautiful people that helped me to do church today. Thank you for helping me do church today. Um, so it doesn't matter how much I look up at this ceiling. I lack the capacity to leap up and jump it. I can want it. I can desire it. I can work the rest of my life for it. How many know none of us in this room are going to touch that ceiling? See, I lack the capacity to do something like that. Similarly, we lack the capacity to be a good person. It doesn't mean, hey, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and if you're just kind of figuring out this whole Jesus thing, hey, I'm not saying that your pursuit to grow and evolve is not a good thing. I'm not saying that trying to be a better person is, is, is a wrong pursuit. I, all I'm telling you today is that you lack the capacity to do it well. Without Christ, we are weak. We are weak. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the what? The ungodly. What does it mean to be ungodly? To be separated from God. To be less than the standard that the creator of the universe has set for us. So we are sinners, right? We, 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 we fall short of the mark. And so this is one of the main reasons why people don't come to church. And if you're visiting today... And you are saying, man, I'm a good person, and I feel personally offended by this entity called the church that is telling me that I'm this bad person. I want to tell you that there's good news today. <laughs> what I'm telling you today is that this is not about your, your definition of a good person. Matter of fact, if me and you had coffee, I don't like coffee, but if, we, if, we, if I sat down with you and we had coffee or tea, I'd probably go for tea, and we had tea, I think that once I understood your definition and, and, your, and your standard of living, I would say, hey, based on that definition, you are a good person. And, and I think I'm doing all right too. But then I would invite you into a conversation where we talk about a different set of standards. And I, and I would invite you into the Bible and we would talk about what God's standards are of what makes someone good and holy and perfect and acceptable. That's what the church community is trying to communicate. And I apologize. I apologize if that message hasn't been clear today. But this is a stumbling block for a lot of people to take a step in their faith. We, as Redemption City Church, we want to be able to learn and grow and be transformed to acknowledge that outside of Christ, 
I'm not a good person. I'm a disaster. But with Jesus, I have an opportunity to be good and to be perfect and to be blameless, not because we ever arrive, but because of what Christ did on the cross. Amen? Lie number two, the passive lie. So maybe you don't identify with number one. Maybe you, maybe you already know, like, phew, I know I'm not a good person, right? Maybe that's not you. Maybe you find yourself a little bit more here. Or maybe you know people in your family. Maybe you, maybe you already have given your life to Christ, but you are hurting right now for your spouse, your children, your wayward children, or, 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 or friends. And maybe you, you identify someone in this one. I am okay with God. Maybe I'm not going to be aggressive and say I'm good and I don't need God, but I'm okay with God. So here's the thing. There's only about 2 to 5% of people, um, in America at least, that are true, defi- like by the definition, atheists. Most people are not atheists. We throw that word around all the time. 2 to 5% of people are atheists, truly not believing in some form of God. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? How is that relevant today? If only 2 or 5% of our population truly believes in no God, that means everybody else on some level believes that they're okay with God. Only 15 to 25%, okay, according to Christianity News Today, of people are coming to church more than two times per month, tithing, offering, and serving. That means everybody else is in the category of, I'm okay with God, and I'm good. I was in physical therapy in Southern California, um, part of this journey. I had to go there for treatment to relearn how to like walk and talk and all these different things and how to move my neck. And I had a really great um, physical therapist who was working with me in the Carolyn Job facility. And just over to the left of me was another physical therapist working with someone. And they were talking about some struggles that they were going with and their health and all the things that she had lost. And so the physical therapist kind of leans in, leans in and says, you know, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't believe in, you know, that Christian God. But, you know, if you just really center your energy and the forces and, 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 and just kind of talking just a lot of just this general spirituality, you know, you're going you're gonna to get through this. You just really got to center yourself with the earth and the universe and the power of that kind of a God. And, and um, basically, that person, I was listening in because I'm, a, you know, part of being a pastor is like you love people and you get really nosy and you want to know everything around you. And so, and the lady's like, yeah, but I just feel like, you know, it's my fault that I'm here. And basically, the physical therapist continued to communicate that you're okay. You don't feel guilty. You're okay with God. You're fine. Well, here's the gospel truth, okay? The gospel truth tells us um, in, in verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We were enemies. Without Christ, we are enemies. We're not okay with him. This is what the gospel tells us. This is what the Bible says. Without Christ, we are enemies of God. At the end of verse 9, it says we are children of wrath. I mean, that... That sounds terrible. <laughs> we are children of wrath, enemies of God. Now, here's, here's again, here's where um, those who do not know the Lord as their Savior, perhaps again, you're, you're, you're here and you're kind of checking things out. You would say, why would I want to be a part of a church community who is preaching a message, singing and clapping their hands and celebrating the fact that God basically doesn't like us? And that we're enemies and, and, he, and we're children of wrath. I'm not going to take these labels on me. You know, I don't want to serve a God who's, who's trying to oppress my life and, and control my life. Well, here's what I would say, and this is an example that the Lord had given me when I was just kind of spending some time in the Word and praying. 
God does love us. And in a way, he loves us like a father. And in that love like a father, there is a type of coming into our lives that happens when you accept him in your life. And he does become the king. And all these words you hear, like the Lord over your life. You know, I remember one time, um, right before I got hurt, um, Aiden, my son right there, he was just about three years old, and we were at a cross intersection, and I was holding his hand. And there were cars going by really fast, 40, 50 miles per hour. You know, that's what we do in America, we break the speed limit. So the cars are going by really fast, and I was grabbing his hand because I'm in control of his life in this moment. And as my son moved his foot closer to that intersection, I squeezed his hand and I controlled him a little bit tighter. Now, if we went out here and you saw a father with his three-year-old son holding his hand at the intersection, and that son wanted to run into the street because he saw a butterfly, and that father knew that by that son chasing what would hurt him, which would be getting smacked by 50 miles per hour, and he just let him do anything. He would be put in prison. It would be considered a form of abuse. All kinds of words would be attached to that father. But a loving and a good father squeezes the son's hands a little tighter. And then he pulls him in a little bit closer. See, when our God shows his love to us, he comes in closer. When you feel that conviction of the Lord, when, you, when He's challenging you to die to things, when He's challenging you to grow, it's not Him oppressing you. It's not Him trying to be controlling over your life. It's not legalistic. This Word of God has the power to save and to free you. God's love for you and I is that He leans in and cares for you, that He squeezes our hands tightly to keep us from danger. The opposite of God's love is to allow you into the passions of your sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 says this. Um, it'll be on the screen, but I can't see the screen. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind see if we are a god, god god's wrath towards us is to allow us into the passions of our flesh to allow us to do whatever we want god's love for us is when we are rescued by him so this is good news so we are not okay with god without christ but with christ we have an opportunity to live fully um, and greatly with him here's lie number three Maybe, maybe those are still not resonating yet. Lie number three, the self-sufficient lie. I do believe in God, but I can get to heaven on my own terms. I can get there on my own terms. A lot of people will prescribe this as a, basically a type of moralism, right? Essentially, it means that if I do good things and I do them generally consistently enough, I'll get to heaven. You know, I... I, I, I make sure I give my offerings, you know, at least once a month. I contribute in the PTA um, for the school district, and, you know, I'm the first one to help my neighbor when he's taking the trash out, and I, I'm a good person. And my good deeds way out, way outweigh, you know, some of the little areas I need to work on. So I'm good. Well, here's the gospel truth to that. 
It's only by the blood of Jesus that we are saved. Repeat after me. It's only by the blood of Jesus that we are saved. In verse 9, the Word of God says, Since therefore we have now been justified by His what? Much more shall we be saved by Him, by God, from the wrath of God. It's by the blood of Jesus that we are saved. This is what the gospel is communicating. It's by the blood. It is not about anything that we can do in and of ourselves. There's no amount of giving. There's no amount of tithing. There's no amount of serving that will put us in a right relationship with Jesus. But when we lean in and we say, God, I trust you with my life. I acknowledge that I am not okay without you. I acknowledge that I am not a good person without you. But with you, God, I'm submitting my life to you. I'm turning over my desires, and I want to learn to live by what you have prescribed in this word for my life. It's at that point that the blood of Jesus, we get to interact with it. He's done the work. He's paid the price. It's been done in advance. We must believe that by faith. And finally, lie number four. Perhaps none of those resonate with you. You know, I never really struggled with lie number one through three for most of my life. But I do find myself here. And this is where God had to do his biggest work. And I call it the guilt lie. God, <laughs> you can never be pleased with me. And I will never be good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of heaven. I'm not worthy of a new life. I'm not worthy of anything. I've done too many wrong things. I grew up in a Christian home um, all my life. That's all I can remember is going to church. Um, my mom kind of led the, the troop, you know, led us the troops, I call it. Um, we, I grew up with over 23 different foster kids. My, uh, I definitely learned what it means to share. Um, I, have, um, I was raised with one other biological sister, and my parents adopted my other sister, and then I was raised with a whole bunch of foster kids, and that really helped me to live in community and to learn to share and all these type of things. Um, but I also struggled to really know who God was for myself. And I had a whole season of my life where I just kind of performed and pretended to have a relationship with them because it's what my mom believed and it's what I was supposed to believe. But internally, I struggled. I had all kinds of different areas of sin that I struggled with. I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't want to talk to my mom about it. And so I definitely dealt with the guilt lie. But here's the gospel truth, and it's good news. In verse 8, but God, but God, shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <clears throat> Christ died for us. <clears throat> if God died for us as we were sinners in the midst of our sin, how much more does he love us when we submit our lives to him? If you're here today and you don't know the Lord as your Savior and you haven't made that commitment, I want you to know that there's no amount of things that you could ever do or say or give up that would ever make him love you more. His love for you 
is full and it's final already. You taking the step towards Jesus is simply accepting the offer that he's already giving you and I. Redemption City Church is a brand new church plant. And I'm hoping that as each and every one of you are here, that you guys are going to stay with us for this, at least for these next eight weeks. And over the course of these eight weeks, I hope that you have an encounter with the God of the universe. And I hope that you would see the power of the gospel within your own lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. For creating all that went into this service, Lord. The people who have opened doors for this clubhouse to be available. The people who have showed up early to set up from worship to printing to these beautiful people here. Lord, we just we thank you, Lord, for just the extra grace you're giving us as we, Lord, uh, are <laughs> navigating, Lord, putting together, Lord, a service and worship and, 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 and chairs and seatings and barbecues and just, Lord, there's so many needs. But, Lord, we just ask for your grace over this next couple weeks as we continue to um, find a landing place for this church. Lord, I pray that everybody who's here today, uh, that they would have heard a word from you. I pray that we would understand in a really deep way that tomorrow is not promised at all. That we will live our lives in a way that acknowledges, Lord, that in in a blink of an eye, that could be it. Help us to not waste our moments are not opportunities to serve you, to glorify you, to be in community. It's because of your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen.